1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read uh, 23 through uh, basically the end of chapter, the first verse of chapter 11. Uh, a bigger section, but what I really want you to, really it's all just to get to verse 31. Uh, and that's, that's really what we're going to hinge on. And I just encourage you, if you have your own copy, if you write in your own Bibles and you don't, if you don't want to write your Bibles, I get that. But if you do and you don't have uh, 1031 underlined yet, um, it's not a fighter verse because we're not doing that right now. Though if you wanted to keep doing fighter verses, that's fine. This is a fighter verse you need to know, 1 Corinthians 1031. But we'll read 1023 through 111. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question in, on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on grounds of conscience. But if someone says to you, uh, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Grass withers, flower fades, word of our God stands forever. It's much nicer in here without the HVAC running. Has anyone else noticed that? It's like we should think to shut that, like get this nice and warm and shut it off before we start. It's like really much better for my ear. So this morning we're going to talk about the First of our main convictions, we, uh, Jim laid out some of those last week on just the, the convictions that we are going to kind of ground ourselves upon as a church. These are really formative, important days for us as a body to really kind of come around who are we and what are we going to be about? What are the core convictions that we're going to just stake our lives upon? And so the first, this morning we're discussing the first of our main convictions, which is this. This might be really new news to a lot of you. It is that we exist to glorify God. Could you have guessed that? We exist to glorify God. And the subheading there is kind of the, all things come from God and they are for God or they, God has given them and they belong to him. You could think of like a Psalm 100 verse 3. Let me just look that up real quick. I didn't put it in my notes. Psalm 103 talking about all things coming from God. Therefore, they are his. Um, Psalm 100, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. God made all things, all things come from God, and all things are for God. We exist 
to glorify God. Now, in one way or many ways, I hope this isn't really a new thought for people who've walked with Jesus for very long. The idea that we're supposed to glorify God, like you could probably walk into any church and no matter what their theology was, no matter what their doctrine was, they would affirm a statement like, we should glorify God. Oh, absolutely, yeah, we should glorify God. You could walk into all sorts of, of various religious institutions that would agree with this common expression, we should glorify God. But what does that mean? What does it mean to glorify God, that all things come from God and are for God? What does that, how do we put legs on that? How do we, we confess that in our catechism, right? We talk, we, we ask the simple, the simple questions in the catechism, um, who made you? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you? And uh, don't jump the gun, Nina. Why did God make you and all things? Tate and Isaac have forgotten it already. Why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. That's why God has made you and all things for his own glory. So that's a, it's a, we, we, we put that into our heads. We can all recite it. But what does it mean? How does this walk out individually and corporately? And don't miss that we want this walked out individually and corporately. Like when we discuss truths here at, at Missio, we're, we're holding these things up as truths, not to, not to just hold collectively, like we want to. As a church body, we believe that all things exist from God and for God. But that also, because this truth is so grand, it holds application in your individual life. It isn't just the truth we affirm when we get together. This is a, these are truths that we take home and they, we take into the workplace. We take to the kitchen table. We, we take into our marriage conversations and our friendships and our parenting and our, and our extended families. These are big truths that we want to hold individually but also collectively. So what story are we living by? The question I kind of want, what, what is the narrative? What is the narrative that you live by? What is the story that we as a church are living by? What's, what's the storyline? What's the narrative? What's the, what are you living by? Because everyone has a narrative. Every church has a story, has a narrative they live by. Every individual has a narrative or a storyline, an arc that they live by. Whether they know it expressly or whether they just kind of passively have absorbed the culture's narrative, everyone lives by a narrative. They live by a story. We all have a concept of where we came from, what we're doing right now, and what the blessed future looks like. Everyone has a narrative. This is my life. This is, here's my heritage. Here's my history. Here's what I'm doing right now and the blessed future of retirement. Uh, that I get to go collect seashells or I get to go play golf, you know, every day for, you know, and, and wherever I live. Like everyone has a narrative they live by. What is then, every church has a narrative that it lives by. Like why do we gather? Is the church here because we all understand anthropologically that we need community 
And so we gather around shared beliefs, doesn't really matter. And the blessed future, the blessed promised hope is that when we have trouble, we have shoulders to cry on, people to help meet our needs. And, and that's kind of the narrative. What is the narrative that we live by? It's important to realize that the narrative that you embrace, whether explicitly or just passively, like it's an interesting thing to, to have this question because so much of our narrative is passively just kind of consumed. When you watch a movie, when you watch Encanto, when you watch the Avengers movies, when you watch um, any, any uh, media consumption, whatever, commercials on television, they're selling you a narrative. When, when you get Oculus, the world becomes amazing, even though you're stuck into a little visor and can't see anything. But it, it's selling you a narrative of like, this is the promised future. What is the story that you live by, it's, you need to realize that the narrative that you embrace, whether explicitly or passively, is a narrative that has huge influence over your life. So what is the narrative that we're going to embrace? Christopher Wright says it in, his, in one of his books. He says, the mission of God's people has to start and finish with commitment to the God, to the God whose mission we are called to share. The narrative that we want to focus on is the narrative that God is writing, the mission that he is on. Like the, we exist as Missio Church, our narrative is not just this singular narrative of a church in southwest Iowa in 2020. To, as we try to form and, and go forward, we, we want to be caught up into the narrative who God is and what he's doing. That's the narrative we've got to focus in on. Important in the discussion of narrative is the question, what is God's mission? Right, and Jim said it last week. I'm not sure if he caught it. I mean, it was it, the, the statement of it isn't so much that God has a mission for his church, but that God has a church for his mission. That God is doing something. God is building something. He's building his church. God is, is directing all of history in a direction. And we are, our mission, we exist to get into that narrative, not to create our own. This is the reality that Christianity claims. There are not countless millions and billions of singular narratives with this, you know, ultimate purpose. There is one main narrative, a meta narrative and and we are called into it part of the reality of the fall you've heard me say this latin phrase i love it is the incurvatus in se incurvatus in se that part of the reality of the fall is that man became bent in upon himself incurvatus you can hear the curve and then in se is in themselves man began to be bent in upon himself incurvatus in se and so we, at part of the fall, we, we by nature are navel gazers. We are self-consumed. We believe as a result of the fall, our natural inclination is that we're the center of the universe. And that what the narrative really focuses around us. We have, I call it starring role syndrome, where we've watched so many movies with so many interesting main characters that in our heads so many of us live... <laughs> with starring role syndrome, where we think life is this movie with us as this exalted main figure. And this is where I get into some trouble because I say the hard truth of 
You are not the center of the universe. You are not grand enough to pull together all of history and space and time and give it meaning. Francis Schaeffer says we're not a, man is not a big enough integration point is what Francis Schaeffer would say. But you're not, don't be, get offended, I guess. This is, a, this, is a good, this is an okay thing to be offended by. The truth that you are not big enough to give the world meaning. But the good news is there's someone who is. There is someone who is. God has made it all. All things come from him and for him. And he has worked when we fell, when we bent in upon ourselves. When we fell, he sent his son, right? We know the narrative of history, creation, fall, redemption. Christ has come, lays down his life, takes the sin of sinners upon himself, lives the righteous life we should have lived. And then one day, Creation, recreation, or we could consummation, Christ is going to return and make all things new. And this narrative all is pointing towards one main thing, that God would be glorified, that God would be worshipped, that God would be praised, that God would be treasured above all else. And this is where Paul is getting at in this 1 Corinthians 10 passage. But we see it in tons of places in the scripture. It's like this week... Jim was asking what text I was going to be in. I'm like, I don't, there are so many places we could go to to talk about God's purpose and the exaltation of himself. That God is God. God is a being worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. Everything comes from him. Everything is for him. And therefore, as that's the the mission, that's the, the, the plan that he's working out, we're caught up into that. But it's, all, it's in all kinds of places. We've been looking at Ephesians together, right? On Wednesday nights, we've been studying through Ephesians chapter 1. We see it in several places. We talked about it. It was one of the observations that we made. How much he's talking about to the glory of his grace, to the praise of his glory. Chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We exist to glorify God. Paul wraps up all of history in Philippians chapter 2 when he says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the aim of history. Everything has come from him. Everything is going back to him for his glory. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 43 talks about this, this, this need of the glorification, this reality that God is the one who is to be glorified through the saving of Israel. So you, you could do so we could do weeks and weeks. And I'm going to try to fly through the rest of my sermon. We're going to do weeks and weeks about the biblical theology of the, save, the creation of Adam and Eve for God's glory, manifesting his glory in the Imago Dei. But then the redemption of, we can talk about Babel. We can talk about Abraham. We can talk about then the rescuing out of the Exodus. We can talk about all of these ways, the nation of Israel to glorify God. But Isaiah 43, Isaiah's prophesying, He says um, to to his people, let's go to verse 5. Isaiah 43, verse 5. He says, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I'll say to the north, give up 
his people, and to the south do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Everyone created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Everything made to glorify God. And so if we as a church want to be on a, on a mission that is eternal and meaningful, we ought to pick the mission of the one who is eternal and most meaningful. <laughs> That's the mission we want to get on board with. We could create all sorts of narratives for us to be about, to, to make a statement in Mount Air, to, to do whatever, you know, to have all sorts, of, all sorts of things we could lift up. But if we want to be a part of the eternal mission of God, let's see what his is, and it is for the praise of his name the glory of his name over all else. And so that's why I think Paul's work here, we don't have time to do a bunch of exposition in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, but the whole point that he's making there, we don't, and this is not a, contextually we're not going to face this, like we don't go to the market and buy food that's been offered to idols and bring it back to a table and eat it together. We, we're, we're not going to face that. We don't have that cultural reality. But that's what's going on here. And he's saying if, if you're going to go eat a meal with someone and, and, Maybe you know the food's been offered to idols. Maybe it hasn't. You don't really know. You're just sitting down eating a meal. He's like, just eat it. But if the person you're eating the meal with says, you know, that food was offered to an idol. I'm not sure you should be eating it. He's like, don't eat it. Like, like okay, if for the sake of their conscience, though you're free to do what you want because you're liberated in Christ, for the sake of their conscience, you know, Put your preferences aside. Put your desires aside. Push your own freedom aside. For the sake of your neighbor, to, you can put yourself down because ultimately you can put yourself aside. You can remove yourself from the center of the narrative. This is not about you. This is about God being glory. And so you don't want to be a stumbling block to anyone because you're not the main point. Jesus is. God is. So you can put yourself aside that God would be glorified. You're not, you can remove yourself from the center of the interaction. You can prefer your neighbor because life is not about you and your glory, but about glorifying the one who is truly worthy of being glorified, honored, and worshipped. How do we go about glorifying God? Well, Thomas Watson, Puritan writer, has this uh, book called A Body of Divinity. Isn't that a nice Puritan title? A Body of Divinity. What is he talking about? He exposits the Westminster Catechism, which we don't really, we haven't really done the Westminster Catechism. We did, we did Heidelberg. We've done New City. Uh, Westminster is kind of another great catechism. Its first question, does anyone know what his first question and answer are? What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's how they summarize the whole purpose of everything, the mission of God, what is the chief end when it's saying, what is the supreme hope, the supreme end, the supreme goal of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Anyway, Thomas Watson writes this whole book expositing the Westminster Catechism. And so he says this on that first point. What does it mean to glorify God and enjoy him forever? And he, he puts out four things. I think, they're, I think they're good things to think about. How does one glorify God? He talks about glorifying God first by appreciation. 
You glorify God by appreciation, holding God in high esteem, respect, awareness. Last night, are, not, are winter sunsets not the prettiest sunset you've ever seen? Did anybody else look out west when it was like, I don't even know what color that was. It was every shade of beautiful is what it was. And you can, and I mean, you know, and as Facebook's full with them right now, right? People taking pictures of the sunsets and sharing them. Well, one way you glorify God is just awareness. You know who drew that? God did. You know who makes colors like that? God does. Good food. Just there's an appreciate. One way we glorify God is just by appreciation, knowing that all things come from him. And so there's an appreciation. Who do our thanks go to with the friendships that we have, the relationships that we have, the love that we share? There's a sense in which you glorify God by rightly appreciating him. So it's appreciation. It's also adoration. What we're doing here on a Sunday morning is, the, is an attempt at intentional adoration, like civil, ceremonial, like worship. When you take time on a daily basis to open up your Bible and read God's word, to pray at 1002 or wherever you choose to pray, to pray with your spouse or your kids at night, when you take time to intentionally adore him, to love him, to look to him, that is how we, that is another way that we glorify him. Routines and habits set upon treasuring God. We, we worship and glorify him by appreciation, by adoration, by affection. Thirdly, we glorify God by our affection. And Thomas Watson there is talking about genuine love for him. Not love for what he brings you, but genuine love for who he is. What God has done. Who he is in and of himself, in his holiness and in his perfections. Do our hearts seek him for what he, we think he may give us? Or do we seek to just find him? Like and when Jim's trying to point and trying to lead us down that road of, of singing a song prayerfully. Where I'm not trying to like, I don't know, if I pull the right lever, then God will open the floodgates of whatever, and so I'll, you know, I'll have this blessing. No, like I'm prayerfully singing just out of honest affection. Like, I love you, God. And you glorify God when you just love him. You love him, you glorify him by appreciation, by adoration, by affection, and lastly, by subjection. Now, I love that Thomas Watson used this word because that's terrible. That's a terrible sounding word. Subjection. What in the world? We're Americans. We are subject to no one. Well, one of the ways we glorify God is by subjection to him, saying, I, I have a ready and willing obedience to whatever you want me to do, God. I put aside my preferences. I put aside my desire. If my will to do this thing contradicts with your will, my will dies and yours gets accomplished. I, I, go, I, I become less, you increase, like John the Baptist prayer. We glorify God, Thomas Watson says, when we are devoted to his service, our head, I love this, I love this because are there any 4-H'ers out there besides me? 4-H'ers? Tony? No one else is in 4-H? Thank you. It's Thomas Watson. I think the 4-H pledge was stolen from Thomas Watson. Listen to this. He says, devotion, we are devoted to his service. Our head studies for him. 
Our tongue pleads for him, and our hands relieve or serve his people. He talks about heads are studying him. Our tongues speak for him, praise him, and our hands serve him. We have a ready obedience. To glorify God is to have appreciation of him, adoration of him, affection for him, and subjection to him. So practical application. This church, missing out what we're doing here, it's not for our glory. It's not so someone can say, oh, you know, and this is, you're going to hear narratives that are out there. Oh, this is done because, you know, whatever happened at the last place and now we're doing something else. Or we flew people, we moved people in from somewhere else to try to make something happen. This isn't about, that's not what this church is about. We're not, it's not for our glory. It's for his glory. Our goal is not to do what serves us or makes us look good, but what serves him and shows him to be the good God that he is. This church is not for our glory. It's for his. Our, your marriage, your marriage is not for your own pleasure. You, it exists for his glory. All things come from him, and that means your marriage, and therefore it's going back to him. It should live to exalt him and to glorify him. Your work is not for you primarily. It may be the way God chooses to move through and to bless you, but your work, ultimately, your employment is from God and for him. The relationships that he's put you in, it is given back to him. Your education, kids, as you go through school and benefit from it, Ultimately, that is from God and is to be given back to God. That's how you glorify God. All things are from him and for him. Your recreation is not yours. Your physical body is not yours. What you do with your physical body is not solely yours. It is God's. All things have come from him and they are his. I belong to him. We belong to him. Your sports are not yours. Your drama, your speech, your, your, your extra cricket, your band work, all of that is not yours. It is from God. It is leveraged for God because all things exist for his glory. That means that in all of these categories, it is not the vehicle that God has chosen to bless you with, your church, your family, your marriage, your job, your activities, your extracurricular, your sports, whatever it is. It is not those things that receive all of your concern and enjoyment it is the God from which they all came. He's the one that gives. They all belong to him, and therefore they go back. We give them to him. He has a purpose. He has a goal. And the best we can do is to find ourselves gladly brought into the mission that he is accomplishing. And all of these things we ought to be asking, how does this fit into the primary narrative of what God is doing? And all that you're doing, take time to ask, how does this fit into the primary narrative of what God is doing? Does my activity and my delight come from God's narrative and his mission in the world or some other narrative? That's a tough question sometimes. When you're walking out life looking forward to something, you know, are, am I truly living? What narrative am I living by in this moment? Worshiping him and glorifying him doesn't mean some long church service in heaven someday where we're going to sit around in white robes and sing to Jesus. It's living out the tasks that he has given you, serving him as he empowers you by the Spirit with the gifts he's given you, with the underlying motive that, and aim that he would be praised. This is how we glorify God. It is a duty. 
Like, God commands us to glorify him. But that duty is, is there with a ton of delight. Like, we can, we can overemphasize the duty to not see that you cannot, you cannot boil this down to just duty. Living within this duty to glorify God is, getting, is great delight. Delight because God knows what he's doing. In the larger sense, living for his glory is giving yourself to something eternal. God's, God will, the Philippians 2 passage, he will be glorified. That's what's going to last forever. God's glory is going to happen. And we can give our lives for our little piddly narratives that will come and go and dry up and wither and go away. Grass withers, the flower fades. The mission of God, if I could play with the text, which I don't like to do, but you could say the purpose of God, his word, what he speaks, it will go on forever. And so it is duty to glorify him, but it is delight because you're giving yourself to that which is ultimately most meaningful and will last forever. It is no, it is it's in living for that. In his wisdom, God has wired the world in such a way that the posture of living for his glory and not your own actually liberates you to enjoy the world and the gifts that he's given you. Piper says in his book, missions exist because worship doesn't. What we are, what we are centrally focused on is that God, in this mission, this missio dei of spreading the gospel to all nations, to all peoples, all of God's people liberated and empowered to be on mission in the world, whatever God is doing, he's doing through all of his people, is, is so that one day mission won't exist anymore and it'll be worship, glorifying God, glorifying him. The mission is for his worship and his glory, not some private mission we create for him, but his grand mission that by his grace we join in. I'll end with 1 Peter chapter 4. I just, I'm just going to read this as kind of the, I think, a summary of all of this. You could take this home and think on 1 Peter 4. To glorify God is to live thankful, contented, and devoted to him. But Peter says it way better than what I've just rambled on with. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Listen to how Peter sums it all up. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, this is 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that... In everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us as we seek to magnify your name, your worth, the name of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. All things come from you and are for you. And Father, we don't want to we want to join in this mission that you are worthy of. Father, you deserve the praise. You deserve the adoration. You deserve the worship. You are holy, thrice holy, three times there, holy, holy, holy. 
You are deserving of all of our worship. Everything has come from you and it is for you. And Father, may we set this as a a bedrock reality of our lives. We are not our own. We belong to you. Therefore, we seek to glorify you in our bodies and indeed with everything. Whether we eat, whether we drink, whatever we do, may it be done for the glory of your name because you deserve it. You're worthy of it. God, may it be done in thankfulness. May it be done in contentedness. And may it be done with devotion. We are yours. God, and there is no happier, no better, no safer, no no more satisfying place to be than to be yours and brought in to the mission, to the story, to the narrative that you are working out that will consummate in your ultimate glorification and our eternal joy and good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.